Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey everyone, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, have a seat. You look so nice. Look at this. People in the room, many of us on staff, we've been looking at a camera. Uh, some of you probably, you know, stopped listening to us at that point, so welcome back. Uh, but some of you have lost weight. So, some of you, well, you know. New Year's resolutions down the drain. I don't know what you did. Some of you are confused. You're like, Pastor Dom's dressed up. Yeah, I do that too, once in a while. Some of you showered today, Sunday morning. You're like, wow, I got to got to get out, but we are excited to begin kind of the slow process of, you know, maybe you know this, but I'll just grab the stool set when you get a chance, but maybe you know this, we're trying to update people and update you online and update our church, and I feel like every time we make an update or I make a video, I feel like the next hour changes, and I feel like I should make another video, and so it's, it's hard, you know, we're going to do our best to keep updating you and to keep kind of uh, keeping you on track, but, but this morning, for some of you, you know that this morning is kind of a unique uh, morning where we just, thanks, but where we just wanted to take some time and talk about what we've been feeling. And, you know, I, all week I kind of almost been dreading today. Like, I, I thought it was a good idea until I, I realized I had to preach. Uh, and so I'm like, yeah, this is going to be tricky, you know. And I thought of a quote that I, I read a while back, and it was a quote by one of the most brilliant leaders, creative geniuses of our time, uh, named Steve Jobs. Some of you remember him if you're young. Don't worry about it. He's important. He controls what's ever in your pocket. But uh, the idea, he once said, you know, if you want to be a, a leader that makes people happy, You shouldn't really care about what people think. You should have just decided that you would sell ice cream to people. And so I thought about that. Like when you're a leader and you're leading and you feel like you want to make everybody happy, you realize it's so hard. And so, you know, any of you know of an ice cream truck we could buy? It'd be great to kind of move in that direction. But that, the truth is that leadership is hard. And we're always thinking of ways to make decisions, not only as a pastor or a teacher or a principal, a business leader, but even as parents. You know, we're really excited about this parenting class coming up. We know how hard it is to lead through very challenging times. And so this morning, I want to begin by telling you a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that we're going to talk about some of the things that I think are so important for us that we're learning, or at least I'm seeing, and many of you are seeing as well, you know, there are lessons that are happening or coming to the surface in this storm. Just think of a, a boat. You have a boat, you're maybe in the water, you're paddling, and there's no storm and your boat looks great. But then a storm happens and the water starts to get like stronger and you realize, well, this boat, you know, has a hole up at the top or it's not as sturdy. You know, you realize in a storm you notice certain things that you might not have noticed other times. And COVID has definitely been a storm, a long storm. And we've all felt it in very different ways. And so I want to begin this morning by just helping us understand just why I think we feel this tension and why this is different from many other Christians who live around the world. Okay. There are two blessings that we live in. We live in these blessings. They've almost always been there. We can't think of our lives almost without these blessings that during COVID have actually become problematic blessings. And I'll tell you what they are. Like, you'll know what they are, but I'll tell you so you can feel them. One of them is all of us live with a category of what it means to be a church 
or a community of faith or other religions as well that are separate than the state. This is a, like a default for all of us. That means we all believe that the government should mind their own business. There. Some of you more than others. You said it with like passion. Good. Some of you at home are like, yes, right? We think that that's just the default. This is one of the great blessings of living in the modern world and living in North America, that we feel like there should be like a disconnect about the parameters of the things the government decides on based on what we do. And for the most part, that's actually how things work. It's a great blessing. Not only is it a blessing for us, this is the time of year where the government says not only that, but if you gave to the church that you love, we're going we're to give you a benefit too. We're going to help you a little bit more. You know, so I think about that in the context of feeling attention against some of the things we hear about that the government does that bother us. It comes from this blessing, and we should understand that for thousands of years, Christians never lived with that category. Many places around the world, there is no concept of Christians or people of faith being separate than the government. The government decides what they do all the time, and yet we're feeling almost an encroachment on that because we assume it should always be separate. Government should not meddle with our stuff. And it's a blessing that during this time has felt very, very different. It's felt like... They're getting close. Like, this is weird. Like, stay away. And, and in some ways, the people think, like, oh, the government wants to do that more. In other ways, people say the government's like, they're trying to do that less. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess, right? But the questions we have around this comes from that blessing. And we can forget that it's a blessing. And we can think, oh, all people know that. It's not the case for many people around the world who love Jesus and are learning to live under very different governmental structures and systems. The other thing that's a great blessing is that all of you get to decide what church you like to attend based on whether you like the music, the building, the pastor. One of the great blessings of living in this time is saying, God's blessed us to live in a time where we can visit different churches. I'm more like Protestant Lutheran. I'm an Anglican. I like high church music. <clears throat> Some people on our sound team. Uh, you know, I like... I like, you know, like country music more, and I'm going to visit a church that has that. This means that almost every one of us, before you even came here, heard probably a sermon, a preacher, a talk from some other church. Yeah, it bothers me a bit, sure. I'm kidding, but you know what? We live in a world of such diversity, and this is how this blessing of options has become very complicated. That many people, when even they'll send me an email about COVID and what's happening, they'll send me a list of all these different churches and what they're doing. And trying to measure which church is being biblical, which is not being biblical enough, which is being too biblical. Like this is a blessing that for hundreds of years, Christians would have had one church. So that church would have made a decision. And then you would have been like, I don't like that decision. You're like, I guess I'm not going anywhere. We get a chance to just poke around and I like that preacher. I like the way they said it. Or I like that music. And this is one of the great blessings that over this COVID period has become a real challenge. And I think it's important for us to remember that. To remember that during this COVID period, these things that we almost took for granted that were there, that were gifts, have revealed their limitation. And out of that, I think we need to remember that we're part of a story and a faith that hasn't always had these blessings as the default. And we're maybe feeling what some people feel. We're maybe trying to make sense to be like, okay, well, that's a blessing and I hope it comes back soon. Or this is a blessing and it comes with a problem. If I can just like pick and choose and watch who I want, and I've said this before, but if you can just stop a, someone who's preaching when in the middle of a sermon, you're probably not hearing a sermon. You're hearing a talk that you come to when you're comfortable, Right? That's the world of the internet. Well, that's not changing anytime soon, by the way. We tried to stay away with that, but that's a tidal wave of change. And so we feel COVID mixing in with all of these things. And we have to remember that we are people formed by the scriptures. 
And so it's an important time this morning for us to just go back to the Bible and to feel what it have been like for people in the Bible not to know of these two blessings. There's people in the Bible who would never thought, like if one day we tell them, hey, when you were around, did you have like really freedom to do what you want? And every so often it felt like the government was in your business. They're like, what? The government controlled everything when we were alive. We're like, okay, okay, I didn't expect that, right? So let me give you three people that you've heard of probably your whole life, especially if you're familiar with church. If you're not, we're so happy you're tuning in. This might help you as well. You know, three people, and you can just go to the slides with these three characters. They're like formative characters. There's Joseph, there's Daniel, and there's Esther. These are people that we know of because we watch them make sense of the faithfulness to God in the face of governments, right? And I think today, I hear this all the time, it's the government, the government. I'm thinking, maybe it'll help our church to have a better picture of how Christians have worked things out with governments. It might be good to know. I want to apologize because oftentimes I assume people know that already. So I'm like, ah, they'll know, or they've been, a, they've been in a Bible study with us, or they're reading their Bible, and then I realize most of you don't read your Bible. So we're going to do it here, okay? So if that offended you, too bad. Okay, so the first person is Joseph. I'm just going to tell you very quickly. I'm not going to talk about their lives. I'm just telling you. Joseph was a slave and in a governmental system that for thousands of years, not like 200 years, not 300 years, the Egyptians for thousands of years were a superpower, and all of you know this, like Joseph, he has fights with his family, he's going to be a slave. When he does the right thing and doesn't kind of have an affair with an official's wife, he's put in prison, and the government just decides what they're going to do with him. Now, you know what we love about Joseph? We love the end of the story with Joseph. When he becomes the boss of everything. And we love to read Joseph's story with that in mind. You know, you got to stick it to the government, and in the end, you're going to be in charge. Uh, yeah, that's great, but it's going to take a, a few years for Joseph to even make sense of that. And we read the story with our lens, and we're like, we're gonna, we, need, we need people like Joseph today. I'm like, hold up a second. You know that Joseph was living in Egypt, right? And you know that the Egyptians were the kind of government that if you messed with them, you disappeared, right? Okay, that sounds bad. That sounds bad. Okay, exactly. Before I get to Daniel, I want to talk about Daniel in a second, but Esther. Esther is so, like, just torn from what it means to be in a governmental system that uses women. She becomes the queen by being objectified as a woman because she's beautiful. And the government controls her so much that you don't even know her Jewish name anymore. You just know her as Esther. That's her Persian name. You know what that means? That Persia changed people's names. Can you imagine being a follower of God in a governmental system when the government says, we have so much power, we're going to change what people call you? This is our legacy. These are the people that have taught us how to be faithful to the ways of Yahweh, of God. And we watch them and we're like, oh my goodness, I don't want any of this. This is crazy. Or Daniel. Of people like, I, I love Daniel. You know the story of Daniel? I don't think I've ever done a whole series on Daniel, but during this time, I, I've met people that are like, we need people like Daniel. And I'll say to them, like Daniel, whose governmental system, the Babylonians, did whatever they wanted to anybody. You want us to just go back to Daniel days? No, what we do is we think of the be most beautiful picture of Daniel we can think of, right? Which is what? All the kids know it. Daniel what? Talking to the lions, right? We want that kind of power. Sit down, lion. And then you're like a meme with Jesus and a lion and some secret thing. And I'm thinking, think about just the world of Daniel. Like in any moment he could die. He's in a moment where the government's controlling. And Daniel's such a great example for us when we feel these tensions, right? That are part of a blessing, by the way. Remember? They're part of this blessing that we have. Daniel reminds us that there's a way of interacting with leaders that we disrespect or we don't like or we, we disagree with 
that is almost respecting of them. And throughout Daniel's life, he'll do this in a way that's so beautiful. He'll say, listen, I can have this food, but let's try what I'm eating and see if that works. Right? There's this engagement, and this is such an important thing I want to say, like a value. It doesn't always come across easy. It's not always easy to know how to do it. But a value of saying, we disagree. This government or these people, Daniel, the Babylonians, they're not for us. But let's just try this. And I want to show you how profound this is. Daniel is so good at doing this. Daniel is so good at developing a separation between what is right in his heart with God and the fact that he lives in a government that doesn't believe that, like us, right? That he realizes that at one point he's going to pray. Some of you know the story. And these people who hate Daniel, they catch him praying. Because the door is open and they catch him praying. And they go and tell the king, hey, hey, by the way, you know, we've noticed that uh, Daniel's praying. Isn't there like a law about this? People praying to their gods, right? How do we read that story? How do most people tell that story? Well, Daniel told the government, you're not going to take prayer from us, right? I'm like, okay, remember I told you I don't think you read your Bible? That's what happens, okay? That's not what happens. Daniel's been respectful. All He's trying to do what he's called to do. And at this point, he prays, and it's a push against that context, that government, right? And so people who don't like Daniel tell the king about this. The king has such, we, I don't know a better word for this, but such respect and tension because of Daniel that this is what it tells us in the book of Daniel, that when the king hears this, this is what it says. You'll see it on the screen. It's just profound. I wish I understood this better. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Can you imagine the kind of relationship you have to have with the government? That when, we, when you break their rules, they feel bad for you. That in Babylon, the ruler remembered Daniel had a special way about him and his God seemed like he was the real God and they were trying to make sense of this. That they're like, oh my goodness, please don't tell me I have to kill Daniel. And what happens? Right after this moment, Daniel has to be put in the lion's den. Such a different way that we see the tension of growing together and making sense of governments that we disagree with. This is our great legacy. I want to tell you one last thing about Daniel's world in Babylon. We have Egypt, we have Babylon, we have Persia. We could go on. There's more. But I... Some of you will get tired. You haven't been in church for a while, and you're like, this is long. I remember why I don't come to church. It's not going to be that long. But I want to tell you about the fact that when the people of God feel and are really, really in slavery during the Babylonian period, one of the prophets of God sends them a letter. He sends them a letter to remind them that they are his people and that there's a way that they should act in this time. Now, I, I read these parts of the prophets, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. This is too hard for me. I don't know. You do it. This is the letter that the people of God in Babylon, after Daniel's gone and the people are gone, the writes through the prophet Jeremiah, and this is what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there, seek the welfare of that city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Are you kidding me right now? Can you imagine getting this? Do you know, Mr. Prophet Jeremiah, that my grandparents are dead because of the government? Do you know that we lost our businesses and our lives and the Torah and the teachings of God because of the Babylonians? Are you telling us that we need to start to pray and seek the prosperity of the city? Jeremiah's like, yes, that's what you need to do. You need to begin to model a different 
way. And I'll encourage you, if you have time, read all of Jeremiah, the section of Jeremiah, because there are going to be other prophets that are going to say, Jeremiah's lying. He's not a real prophet. Don't do what he says. This is one of those painful moments where God is trying to help his people not agree with the government, not before the government, but to learn how to be faithful in the midst of governments that disagree with them. So much different than even how we feel if we lived in this world. Can you imagine thinking of moving to Babylon during this time? Like how many of you would say everybody who's there, who's hearing this is thinking, how do we get out of Babylon, right? Anyone? Is that a fair assessment? No one's thinking like this is amazing. Anybody want to pack and go to Babylon? Let's go there because it sounds like painful and weird. As I was praying this week and preparing and thinking about the sermon, I thought about some of the things people said to me when they found out that Bev and I were leaving Ontario to move back to Quebec. A lot of the things they said, they're like, wait a second. You're going back to Quebec? You're leaving a place where the church seems healthier, or you're in a context where the church was growing, and you're going to a place where maybe there is no church? We're like, yeah, we think that's what God's calling us to do. And for many people, they actually said to me, it feels like you're going backwards. Like, isn't the other way to go the other way around? Like to, I said, well, God doesn't have a forward or backwards idea. He has the obedience call on us. And so we just came. And we started the church and we invited people to begin to feel the tension because we knew that we needed to learn something that has been part of our legacy even before the 180. It's the Joseph legacy, it's the Daniel legacy, it's the Esther legacy. That at times God sends his people in moments and leaves them in difficult moments to learn how to trust him there. And we did this. We moved, we came back. And for many of you, you know this, if you're watching and you're not from Quebec, you might not be familiar with this. But that, for many of us, comes under the umbrella of feeling that we're in a secular society. Any of you ever heard that term? Like we're in a secular society? Like this is a secular place, right? And, and many people leave secular places. They're like, I'm a Christian, I don't want to be in a place. Or, you know, some of you privately when nobody's watching, you just pray and you pretend like you're in Florida. Right, anybody? Joanna's like, yeah. You're, you're like, I, if somebody's clapping, we don't want to see you anymore. No. But it's like, I just wish we were part of that church. Oh, it's so big. Oh, I wish we were part of that church because it seems like they could do what they want there. I wish we lived in this part of the world where people are on fire for the Lord. Nobody's coming to the secular way. We're all looking for ways to get out of here. And yet God has called us to come here, to be the church here, to be leaders here, to model the church here. And let me tell you one of the most important things you remember about this sermon. If I die tomorrow, remember this. This is the slide. Everybody in the Bible understood this. And the, you can go to the slide, the next slide, next one. There we go. The fundamental missionary experience in the secular culture is to live on terms set by others. This is our calling in this province. We're all going to have to learn this. Now, I know for many of us, we're like, I'm not a missionary and I don't want to do this. I don't care to do this. Jesus made all of us missionaries. Jesus turned this all into people who would have to learn to live in a society with governments that will disagree with us, will have nothing to do with us. And in some parts of the world, they're even burning churches down. It's completely different. But here is to live on terms that we don't agree with. And this is what we are feeling. And we have to learn to say, God, you have been with others before us who navigated complex relationships with governments. And we need to know, maybe not to do what they did because it was different, but to do something like that so that the world sees something is different here. And I know this bothers us sometimes. 
I know this bothers us when we feel the tension of this and we're like, you know what, I'm not sure I understand like how to do this. And I've been told that when you're a Christian, you fight with the government. You have to... Co- there are times when Christians have stood up together to say, you know, this is maybe something we need to disagree with. And you know what? Just let me encourage you. We're part of a family of churches and connected with many other church denominations that are learning how to do this together. We don't all agree. But we're saying, God, let's, let's stay united on things we agree on. And let's keep talking about with the government and with each other about the things we disagree on. So one of the ways that we've done that as a church, this is, this is something personal that we've decided, is that we're finding ways to say that we're following the government's guidelines and in a few weeks, you know, those will change. In a few months, those will change, right? We're following them and praying that the government hears and opens up and begins to make room. And that seems like that's happening. So it's good news, right? But in the process, we wanted people who are watching, people who are part of this church, people who feel disconnected, to know that they're loved and they're still part of this community. And so we're, we've looked for this middle way of knowing how to keep doing that and keep being different in this culture now while in our hearts we wish we were somewhere else, right? And one of the things I want to tell you this morning is one of those creative ideas, that over the next two weeks in homes, we've asked families in our church who are comfortable to do this, is to maybe be open to welcoming somebody who still can be here in person into their home on a Sunday morning as part of a worship time together that follows the guidelines that the government has in place and at the same time reminds us that we're part of a family and an extension of our church community. We're, we have some expectations for how to do that. Some of you, I know you're, you're details people. You're like, wait, I have a lot of questions. Great. If you have questions, you can email us at info at the You can email us. And you can pray for us. And you can tell other people that we are learning to love those who are part of this community and we're learning to model something for those who are still not part of this community. Because we live in a world where people who are not Christians are watching to pay attention how we respond in this moment. And telling them that we wish we had a different government or we can just change the government, it, I mean, it might be a feeling we feel, but it's not going to help us to be the people that God's calling us to be now, in this time. So let me just tell you how proud I am of our team and our elders and our staff. We, we disagreed and we wrestled and we argued, you know. We, we, we kind of had different views and we said, hey, hey, let's keep doing this. Let's keep going in this direction and moving in this direction. And almost, it would have been so much easier to not do any of that. But we're going to do something and model something creative and we're going to try that. The next thing is our kids are going to open. We're dreaming of a, a, of a time when we can maybe have a service outside and we're working on that. So there's a lot of things that are happening as we make sense of our place in this government, in this context. Now, the earliest Christians had to wrestle with their own government. And I've met people all the time, like, in these tense moments, I've had a few of those uh, spicy conversations, people, you know. Uh, some yelling, some, you know, you, you know, in the whole, you hold the phone like this, you know. You're like, hey, all right, okay, I got that. That's wonderful, I'm writing this down, okay. And I understand. I understand. I yell too when I'm angry, by the way. Ask our staff. Yeah, it's a joke, Okay. Our staff are like, what? Tom never yells. Uh, I just, the idea, we all know what it's like to be angry, to be like, I'm upset, and why is this happening? And sometimes having someone listen on the other side who doesn't get offended, who says, I understand, goes a long way. For some of you, you have that gift, and you've been doing that. You've been listening to people who are upset and frustrated, and you have not gossiped. Jesus is so proud of you. You have modeled the way of the king. 
Because anybody can be angry and gossip and talk about other people. Anybody can do that. But we're learning to listen, to not sin in our anger, to be upset, to be careful about when we speak about others. To say, you know, I'm frustrated, I, I maybe... I don't think that's true of you. And to make sure we don't polarize people, to be those people always do this. Just stop using those words altogether. People are complex and in pain and struggling and for so many different reasons. The earliest Christians had to deal with their own governments, two super governments that we take for granted. Why? Because what's the blessing for us? Separated. The government should mind their own business. We're going to do our church thing. No, no, the earliest Christians don't have that blessing. They live in a world that the government has so much power that they're dealing with a Greek world and a Roman Empire. That's the world of our Bible. And in a few minutes, I want to move us to this table because the communion table helps the Christians live in that world in a very special way. When people tell me this, and I want to just encourage when people tell me this, like, we need to be people who go back to the Bible. We have to fight for the Bible. And they, they'll yell at me about this because they're passionate and, I, and we love the Bible here. I often gently remind them, what language is the Bible in? If you don't know, it means you haven't been to any of our learning series, so shame on you. But if you do know, is the Bible's in Greek. That means that government won. And there's an idea that even when we read our Bible, we realize Christians were learning to deal with another government. And they didn't say, no, we're going to keep ours in Aramaic. We don't care. Jesus didn't speak Greek. They're like, guys, it's time for some wisdom. We need all of this in Greek now. And that's what we have. Do you see the tension of governments and relationships? Wouldn't it be great to just post something on Facebook and say, we got to fight? It would be with blue paint. I'm doing that next week, by the way. It'd be so easy. But this is not easy. Remember, if we want it easy and just simple, we just should buy ice cream trucks. The Bible itself reminds us that there was another culture that Christians were like, oh my goodness, the Greeks were relentless. They just came in. Alexander the Great just swooped in. He didn't ask people, hey, is this okay for your worship set? Is it going to work? That's our legacy. We learned how to worship Jesus in that. We learned how to maneuver and, and walk and keep quiet and maneuver and walk. And then, oh, the best, the best, the best. The Romans. The Roman Empire. People during this time, I don't know what it is, but there was a fascination and a movement to saying, we're going to start reading the book of Revelation. We're going to make that the guide for how we get through this time. And I'm, you know, I think the book of Revelation is beautiful, but it's not a good guide. It's not a good guide for this time, okay? Because the person who's writing the book of Revelation is in prison. That means that the government has won again. But they're saying, for those of you who love Jesus, remember, that prisons themselves cannot control what our Lord is doing in us. And I want you to see just when John is writing the book of Revelation, if you just want a reference point in your mind, that Domitian was the emperor at the time. He kind of would die during Revelation and another emperor would come up. This was an emperor that gave himself the title, Lord and God. I mean, just imagine one of our politicians, tomorrow morning, press conference. Hey, by the way, from now on, I'm not Monsieur so-and-so, I'm not Prime Minister so-and-so. You will refer to me, the media, people of the media, refer to me as your highness. What would happen? Any of you? How many of you, how many of you would be like, this is amazing, I love it here. You would be packing your stuff, dictator. Like, for sure you would. I would. I'm like, what? Call you God? Like, how does this happen? Christians for hundreds of years lived in that kind of world. And what did they do? They said, Jesus, Jesus left us a different way. 
Jesus left us a different way. Some of Jesus' disciples loved it. They're like, no, no, we know the way. It's vengeance. It's killing. You know, just imagine that even as we move to the table and Jesus is praying with his disciples in a, in a home and in a garden, teaching them this different way. Peter has a sword. Can you imagine Jesus looking at him like with the eyes that your parents gives you not to touch too many cookies? You know those eyes on the table to be like, the eyes of like, put, put that sword away right now. The, the Jesus eyes. That we know Peter's ready to, Peter's ready to use the way of the government to win. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? And he heals the ear of a person that Peter hurts. This is our legacy. This is our story. This is our song. Stop singing that hymn if you don't believe it. This is what we're given. And to tell you the truth, when all the history books are written, we live in good times, my friends. Do we agree? Could it be frustrating? Are there things the government does where they're lying? You better believe it. But we're still called to model this new way. In the book of Revelation, right at the beginning, there's a letter from John in prison, and he writes, and he's talking to churches. And I really want to transition. Now, I want you to remember this. I've gone a lot of places. If you're watching online, you can pause this, go back. Look, I tried to help you. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And they're wrestling with the, with the things we feel. And in the book of Revelation, when John begins to write, he writes this. Some of you know this. He writes to these churches. I'll read it for you. It says this. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, and in the kingdom and the patient endurance. How beautiful is that? Patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, on a Sunday, meaning he's worshiping in this context. He's on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And in my notes, I put end to the 180. This is our letter. Write these things to them. And many of those things are, are worship visions of mysteries of bowing before Jesus. And just when you take a glimpse to think, like, I have a question, you put your face back down and you worship again. It's not a book to help you answer questions, trust me. It's a book more of silence and of awe than it is codes for answers. And you feel that. John wants us to feel that. And I want us to just understand that at one point, John is going to start to talk to the churches and he's going to start writing to them. And, and to help you understand how powerful this is, I want to tell you about a painting, okay? I want to tell you about a famous painting that I saw. And when I saw this painting, it helped me think of a new way of understanding John, the earliest Christians, trying to be Christians in a world where the government just killed people, got rid of whoever they wanted, right? I just want to, just to see this painting was so profound. Some of you maybe heard of this painting. It's called the Light of the World painting. It's actually a painting that appears, you'll see it on the screen here, it's called the Light of the World. It appears in London, England, in St. Paul's Cathedral, if I'm not mistaken, it's in London, England. And one day, I think it was two years ago when we were allowed to travel, I actually saw it in person. And it's just beautiful. And it's a painting that's meant to capture, you maybe don't see it fully there, it's meant to capture the darkness around Jesus, the darkness of the world, and that he still is the light in the midst of the darkness. That he's holding the lantern, you, the, the artist gives you all kinds of explanations what all the different parts mean, you can read it on your own. It's one of the paintings that's probably traveled more in the whole world than any other painting. And eventually was purchased, and it was put in this church where you can see it today. And what's so beautiful about this painting is it does two things. It's trying to hold together two themes that John himself writes about. John reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. That's something a lot of people understand. 
And John is writing to churches who maybe are forgetting what it means to be the light of the world, right? He's writing to them and saying, hey, hey, in a world of darkness, remember, you are the light of the world. Live that way, act that way, speak that way, the light of the world. And then at the bottom of the painting, the artist put a verse of the Bible on it. And this is the verse of the Bible that's on the bottom of this painting. It's from the book of Revelation. It says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Growing up, I heard this verse a lot in my life. It's often used as a verse, if you're not familiar with church, maybe you've been spared, uh, by someone, the televangelist or someone yelling and saying, this is the day you open the door to your heart and you accept Jesus as your Lord. Anybody in here in the room? Yeah, amen, amen. What, what, witness? All right, okay, we got some witnesses here. Uh, what nobody decided to tell me is that this verse is a verse written to people who are already Christians. It's written to a church in Laodicea. It's not written for an evangelist to use at a rally to get you saved. Now, by the way, you can use it if it works. But I'm just saying, sooner or later, then you'll read your Bible and realize, wait a second, I'm not sure. This is John telling churches who have forgotten what it means to be the light of the world to open their hearts to the way Jesus has taught them to be the light of the world. And to say the world you live in, the brokenness of the world that you live in, will not be transformed by you acting like the world. It'll be transformed by you acting the way I taught you to be the light of the world. And in the painting, the artist does something so profound. He puts a door in the painting without a door handle because the door has to be opened from the inside. That we, the church, have to open that door and say, Jesus, have your way with us. We have failed to be the light of the world. We have failed to teach the next generation how to be those who respect and understand that we live on terms that we have not set, but we are yours. And you are the light of the world. And we wish it was easier. And we wish we lived somewhere else. And we wish we were at a place that wasn't secular. And we wish the government, and we wish, we wish. I got a whole list. In a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to take communion. I can't wait for those of you at home to be here. I can't wait to get to the place where I serve you communion because that's how you should get communion. Not with some cracker box thing, whatever you have. Someone should serve you and look you in the eye and say, you are the light of the world now. Live in the way of Jesus now. This is his way. This is his way. And Jesus went to places where there was no hope. And from there, he began a movement with two women who had lost all hope at a grave. And he's like, I'm alive now and I'm the light of the world now. Go. But the government won't understand. They're going to try to kill us. Just go. This is the way of Jesus. The band's going to play a song, and as they're playing, I just want you to think of one thing. One last thing, and I want this to kind of be your prayer in your hearts if you're watching at home, if you're watching this later and you want to just take some time with God, that I've heard consistently from so many people, I've said this myself, these words, that just doesn't make sense. Over this COVID period, I think I've said, that doesn't make any sense. Hundreds of times. I hear an update and I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. We get a letter of how the church should respond with vaccines. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, they can stay open and they can't stay open and teachers are not this and that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. How many of you? Right? There's going to be a lot of those. It doesn't make sense. 
And all along it's been like, well, we're watching the government and we're telling the government what they're doing doesn't make sense to us. And that's fair. But to be a Christian is to act in such a way that when the government watches us, they say it doesn't make sense. When they see how we love each other when we disagree, when they see how we care for each other out of the box to make sure that people know we are the light of the world, the government should look at us and ask the question, this doesn't make sense there. This table is the table that helps us do that. If Jesus' earliest followers broke bread and ate with the person who's going to betray Jesus, you're going to be fine with people you disagree with in 2022. Let's pray before we hear the song. Jesus, you're doing something special in us. You're reminding us that you are greater than the government. Your ways are beyond the systems of this world that will rise and fall. And those who will experience the joy of your way of life must live the way you lived. We thank you for the scriptures and the great legacy of those who came before us. We thank you for their example, the pain they must have felt. One day we will ask Esther ourselves. We will ask Joseph. We will ask Daniel. And they will ask us, what did Jesus teach you in your time? Speak to us now, Jesus. Much beauty to discover. I can hardly take it in. I will ever stand and wonder of a grace that never ends. The more I
You know that uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, broke bread. And this uh, week, I noticed this pattern that I want to leave you with before I invite you to take communion this morning. If you're watching online, we hope you've had a chance to grab a piece of bread or a cracker. Do this with us. Do you remember the three names that I gave you at the beginning of the sermon for those of you who didn't fall asleep? Joseph, Daniel, Esther. Pretty simple, huh? When Daniel comes out of the lion's den, it's a statement for Christians, for those who read it, of the victory of God, right? The power of God, the faithfulness of God. And the king of Babylon says, get me the people who said we should put Daniel in. Where are the ones who accused you, Daniel. They're right here. Take them and give them to the lions. You're like, wait a second, what's happening? Esther, we're going to kill all the Jews. Conspiring. When finally Esther speaks the truth and says to the, the Persian ruler, hey, you know what, like, who are the people who did this to you, Esther? Where are they? Esther's like, they're right there. Get them. We're going to hang them on the poles that they wanted to hang you on. You feel that? Don't you expect that Jesus, after his ultimate victory, would show up 
the power of God, the authority and the victory of heaven. Say to his disciples, where are the ones who killed me? Where are the accused? Let's go get them now. You're, you're waiting for it. And instead Jesus says, that's not the way now. If it was fine to just get revenge on anyone who hurt us, we may be just still reading the Old Testament. But we're Christians. We believe in the resurrection. Jesus was alive and he said, it's not time to go back to Pilate or to the Jews to tell them, in your face, our Jesus is alive. Nobody wrote any of that. He said, you, go into the world and tell the world that I was the light of the world and live that way. See the difference? When everything in you this week triggers revenge, anger, get them back, just quietly. You're watching at home. You're here. Remind yourself, I have been shaped by the one who's the light of the world. And his way is different. That will never change. No matter what government shows up, no matter what restriction shows up, that will never change. Revenge was not the way of our Lord. So he took bread. And he broke it. While his disciples prepared their swords, while some of them wondered who's betraying so we can kill Judas. And he said, this bread, broken for you. I'll read it for us. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We eat with Jesus now. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Again, let us take it together. Hey, just a reminder. This is a central way of our worship as we gather, but our church is bigger than this. We want to be praying and making room. Please pray for our staff and our elders as we sort out all the new things coming our way. If you're watching at home and you'd like to connect with one of our in-home visit Sundays coming up, info at the 180.ca. We'd love to begin to connect people so that you don't feel alone or isolated or out of reach of being part of this family. We're learning how to live in a certain legacy, and call people to something else. So let's just stand as we close in prayer this morning. Maybe as we pray, maybe we could just extend our hands as a symbol of saying, God, we are open to your correction, to your love, to your care. 
Many of us have been in this warehouse a long time by ourselves for a while, so I miss seeing you with your hands open. Let's pray. Jesus, you are alive and well. We are ready to go now. The way you sent the women, the way you sent your disciples, the way you've always sent your followers. You've made us all missionaries. And now we will learn what it means to go and to live on terms set by others. Because your kingdom is not of this world. And your ways are not of this world. Help us as we go now, those who are in this room and those watching at home, as we interact and as we talk and as we listen and as we scroll and as we email, to remember that you knock on the door to remind us that we have eaten with you the light of the world. We now go in the power of the Holy Spirit to remind the world of a different way. Help us to do that now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we'd be hugging you if we could, but get out of here and be careful. God bless everyone. See you soon.